Got it. Okay. And uh, I need church. I need it in my life. There's many reasons. I've got a message I preach at times out of Acts after the Holy Ghost was poured. It said, and they continued steadfastly the apostles' doctrine, breaking of bread, prayers, and fellowship. And uh, those, I, some, I title that little thing there, you know, the reasons why we have a church building, um, that we have to come together. And uh, that's the way God designed it. I got family in the non-church stuff, you know, home church, junk. They've lost their children. They have just totally lost out with, with uh, even reality. Um, but there's something down inside of us. I got a sister that attends a very liberal church, and then the one that's the home church, they kind of team up. But they're constantly asking questions about holiness people. <laughs> so they can't do without it. It shows me that God puts a hunger in our hearts for something greater than what we're doing. And the only way we can find, I know we can pray. You know, I used to say when I pastored, it's not sin for you to miss church if you live in China where, you're, where you can't attend church or somewhere else that it's against the law and you can't. There's a book I read um, uh, several years ago called The Insanity of God. Have you ever read that, Rosane? Um, it's, it's written in a pseudo name because this man was a, he was a, uh, a missionary to huh? Samoya. And, and in that he couldn't, he said, I was just totally aghast that there wasn't hardly Christians there. And he said, I finally found four Christians. And one, one day we, we did the communion together. And, uh, the next week those four were murdered because they had found out what went on. And he said, I just, I started getting myself involved in humanitarian aid and doing what I could. And uh, it's, a, it's a very good book. If you can, they've got a little DVD that goes with it at times uh, when you buy them. Uh, but he went on to say, I left, came back, and if I'm not mistaken, he was of the Baptist group. And he said, I went on to my leadership and said, there is no literature to give to persecuted people. And I'd like to be able to be one that would develop something like that. And so they gave him the green light. And he toured uh, the Asian countries. He toured the African countries. He went into uh, the Russia, China, and places where persecution was very prevalent and would interview them on what they're going through. And one of those was, um, one of those was in Russia. And they told him... Uh, you cannot, and the reason why he wrote in a, in a, it's not his real name, is because of persecution. If they found out, then they would persecute the people he was visiting, okay? And so he said, in Russia, they said, you, there's one place you've got to go. And we got in a car, and we drove, and we drove. It, it slips my mind how many hours. I want to say four hours. may have been a whole day to get there. We pulled up in this village, and, and this house nondescript. It was just like everything else. And he said, we got out and we knocked on the door. An older gentleman came to the door and uh, he welcomed me in. And he said, when, he, when I got in there, he said, I want you to sit down right here in this chair. I'm thinking, what's the deal about this chair? But he said, I want you to sit right there. 
So I asked him through the interpreter, what, what is it? He said, this is where I was when they come and took me away. It was a, it was a full day to go to church. It was two days to get to where there was a church. And so his, um, it's been so long since I've read it. He, he said, he said, so I asked my wife one day, would it be all right if we started, you know, reading the Bible here and, and just reading Bible stories and singing songs with our children? Yeah, that'd be okay. Well, some family members found out, community members found out, wasn't long till there were 60, 70 people in his home when they would do this. And they were reported. And so that night, one evening, they came in and with a group, uh, a captain and his soldiers, and uh, they said, this is forbidden. You can't do this. He said, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. Uh, I can't, you know, why, why are you doing this? And the, and the captain slammed him up against side the wall and said, if this happens again, your life will be threatened. A little old lady in that church reached out as a captain, started out the door and grabbed his arm. He turned and looked at her and she said, you're going to pay for this. He died the next day. That's not the end of the story. They came back again. He said, I was sitting in the chair. They took me away. They beat me. They took me 1,700 miles from my family. Put me in a prison that had 1,500 prisoners in it. To my knowledge, he said, to my knowledge, there, there was no one else in there that was a Christian. He said, I was in that prison for 17 years. But my routine was... Every morning, I would get up, I would look out the cell, my cell's window, and I would rise as far as I could to my, to my toes, and I would sing my heart song to God. He said when I was outside of my cell, I would look for the tiniest script, scrap of paper or even larger, and I would save charcoal or a pencil I could find, and I would write every scripture verse that would come to my mind and every song that I could ever remember. And I would take that piece of paper, and I would put it as high as I could in my cell as a sacrifice unto God. Every day, an onslaught against him to give up his faith. At 17 years, they told him every day that his family had forsaken him, that he was, he was done, he might as well give it up. And so he said, I became so disheartened that at that 17-year period, I just said, okay, bring me the papers. I'll sign them. The next morning was scheduled for him to get the papers. He said, that night when I laid my head down, the Spirit of God come into that cell, and He transported me to my home, to where I could hear my sons and my wife kneeling around that chair and praying for me. They come in the next morning, He said, I'm not signing them. And they said, why? He said, because my God showed me that you've been lying to me, and that my wife and my sons are still supporting me. So they took him out, beat him, dragging him down the center aisle of that prison where he had been feces thrown at him, uh, urine thrown at him, spit upon by all those people in that jail. 
And he said, suddenly, them dragging me down that aisle, 1,500 prisoners began to sing my heart song. <laughs> he said, the, the, the guards threw me down and said, who are you? He said, I'm just a born-again child of God. And they let me loose, and I'm back here today. Hallelujah. I need church. Amen. Hallelujah. Do you have a song in your heart? Amen. Is there something in there that keeps you ticking for God, going on with Him? Amen. In those times of depression or discouragement, uh, I tell you what, I just... Uh, I'm glad he put a song in my heart. Are you? If you get the DVD, uh, it has him singing his song on there. Okay? There's so many stories that come out of that. But if you get a chance to buy that book, The Insanity of God, it is a, uh, it is a very good. The, the gist of that is uh, how that God helps persecuted people. Amen. It's just very good. Very good book. But anyway... We're back to talking about uh, us. <laughs> Amen. Deb's up here. We're going to get to the ladies here in a little while. We're going to try and cover that. But today, tonight, I want to I want to finish this up where men are concerned. You don't have to turn there, but we took our text from Romans chapter two, where he said, "Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man." We took that text because we were predominantly talking to men and fathers specifically on what you need to do. Now, uh, one thing I didn't touch on this morning as a provider, you need to provide your children the atmosphere of a church. Amen. You need to provide your the children the atmosphere of coming together. I sit here. Uh, before church starts and even after church this morning, I looked around all these nephews and nieces and cousins and whoever's and whatever's are just mingling together. Uh, they're making memories that will never fade. So where did you get close? Yeah, we went to, to grandpa and grandma's. I don't know what you guys call them here. Grandpa and grandma. Okay. <laughs> We went to the old man and the young lady's house, okay. and 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 we had fun there. But where we really have memories is at the church. And do you remember that time we was eating and you spilt that? Do you remember that time you got that? You remember that time you got that spanking? You remember the time this happened, that happened, and even go back to? Do you remember Aunt Chris and Uncle George? Hello. Amen. I used to read. I used to read about you, George, when I was young. Curious, George. Okay, but anyway. Okay. All right. But you need to provide your children with an atmosphere of the church. That when the Holy Ghost, brother, brother Nathan was talking tonight about, we need to. Our children need to see God move in our services. Yes, our individual lives. It is wonderful. It is awesome, and they do need to see that but they need to see it moving in those that they care about also. They need to see the movement of God. So, so fathers, you need to provide your children. My dad was attending, uh, it was CBI at that time uh, in Springfield, Missouri. And, and both of my, my parents, uh, father and mother, 
on their side was, on both sides, was not saved. They weren't Christians. And so Mom's Bunch was a good Baptist folks that never go. Okay? And so, uh, and, and Dad's folks, his, his stepdad was, uh, he was a, a backslider from a Baptist church. He got wounded and hurt in the church, and so he just didn't go. That's a whole different topic. But Grandma and Grandpa Snow, which is on my mother's side, uh, decided they wanted to drive to Springfield and see Mom and Dad. So when's the best time for them to go if Grandpa works five days a week? It's Sunday. And so the first Sunday that they came, um, Dad said, we, we stayed home. They called us and said, we're coming. We stayed home and we visited. And he said, we felt so terrible that after that, Mom called and said, hey, if you guys want to come on Sunday, the door is unlocked. Just come on in. Make yourself at home. We'll be back when church is over. Guess what? They started coming on Saturday. Why? That was a priority. Okay, and I understand we live in an hour where everybody works 24-7. Okay, I, I comprehend that. But we as born-again Bible-believing Christians, and especially you as fathers, need to do the best that you can to prevent being out of church on Sunday. Amen. I'm only giving you about a 10% slide right there. All right, why? I've known men, I've pastored men that have went in and said, uh, yes, I need this job. And when they said they need this job, they said, but the thing is, I will not work on Sunday. Boy, that got quiet. I make a commitment. And, and most of the time, especially in today's society, they're going to honor you because they're afraid of a lawsuit. <laughs> Amen. Discrimination. Okay, enough on that. Uh, we just need the church. Amen? Amen. So we talked about the provision. Now I want to talk about you as a husband are a protector. Now, you know, we're all, back home we call them redneck Americans. We all pack to protect. Amen? I, I like this is going out on the airways. I like what Brother Collins one time I was listening to a tape and he said, I'll tell you what happened. He's gone now. Uh, but he said, I'll tell you what happened if I see somebody breaking in my house, trying to steal my goods and hurt my family, there'll be a new face in hell. And he stopped and he said, well, I'd give him a chance to pray first. <laughs> yeah, another one, old Brother Ralph Cox is preaching in Richlands. And he's talking about homosexuality. And he said, I'll tell you, if somebody, one of them guys ever tried something like that on me, I'd kill him. God, don't look at me like that. God had helped me. Okay. Now, we all hope we never have to come to that point. All right. We just don't want to. But we are prepared. And that is a protection. Okay, it's not ultimate protection, but most of us and most of us who are living a good conservative Christianity, God has favored us. Okay, that may be that may be ending. Brother Neil Bridges recently 
he told the story uh, a couple of years ago where a couple of guys tried to mug him in a Walmart parking lot. And he said uh, he just ended up whipping one of them. He took off running, and the other one he held down till the cops came. I mean, this guy's 85. So he said it hadn't been very long ago, just a few weeks ago, if I hear this correctly, a few weeks ago that another one came. He was of a different descent down south. And he said, this young man come up beside the car there, and he said, give me your wallet and all your money. He said, I'm not doing that. So the guy pulled out a knife. And he said, give me your money. Brother Bridges said, I just pulled my belt off. He's an old Marine, okay? He said, I pulled my belt off, and I said, son, see this right here? I can rip your stomach open and Get your guts out before you ever got that knife to me. So the boy dropped his knife and ran. Okay? Listen to me, folks. I know we're not, we haven't been there. Thank God we haven't been there. But we are living in a society right now that we could be. Okay? Especially with Christianity, with the enemy hating Christianity, okay? So we need to learn to protect our families, okay? But even beyond the physical, we need to be applying the spiritual principles. Is it, is it Zechariah that says, it's not by might, nor by what? Power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Okay, I know people who have... Who have, who have attempted to be mugged and they would rebuke in the name of Jesus and the guns wouldn't go off. I don't want mine not to, but I don't want theirs going off, okay? It is not our power. It's not our muscle man. You know, I've got a different opinion of Samson. See, I don't think Samson was a muscle-bound person. You know, he wasn't like me. Okay, <laughs> I think I don't think there was anything about Samson that showed any kind of strength, and the reason why is because it took God to do it. And so you, as a father, have got to come to the point that you're protecting your children, and more than just the the physical aspect, the spiritual aspect of it. I don't know how many of you, if you have. I don't even know if you was the one recommended me to um, um, uh, Jonathan Kahn on Barbie. Oh, oh, you've got to look his YouTube up on Barbie and where that came from. Okay. Now, my wife and I never, never permitted our children to have Barbie dolls. Okay. If somebody gave it to them, uh, we would always break an arm or twist off a leg or do something because the basic premise of Barbie and Ken, now, you know, we'd beat Ken's car up and stuff because it's, it's, it's a fake. It's like, this is the way life is going to be. <laughs> and we was teaching them that you're going to break your arm. Okay. You're going to have a car wreck somewhere. Okay. And, and, and Ken, uh, you know, I wish I could think of what I could have done to Ken to make him, you're never going to marry this. Okay. All right, this guy. 
But he goes back into showing the spiritual applications to that. Years ago, years ago, of course, I'll just say this, and, and I want to ruin it for you. But years ago, I was going to say this. He said, where Barbie came from is the brothels in Germany under Hitler. They had the dolls that looked like Barbie. Folks, there's spirits behind some of these things. Years ago, there was a book out, and I don't know if you can find it now. Uh, I think I've got it in one of them 12 tubs. It's called Turmoil in the Toy Box. And it began to talk about the toys that are given to children and the spiritual values that are behind them. And what they're trying. Do you remember what I said this morning that the that the God is so concerned about and the devil is out to destroy? It's your seed. It's so that you cannot perpetuate the 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 gospel of Jesus Christ to the next generation. He doesn't want your children to grow up and serve the Lord. But that, that was a good book. It was back in the 80s, I think. Uh, Terminal in the Toy Box. And so, fathers, there's some things. I, start, I, I ended up somewhat this morning talking about the silence of men in the home has led to the decay of our society. And there are times that you, as a man, have just got to stand up and say, that ain't happening in my house. Oh, but honey, you don't understand. I remember we got married and we was living there in Carthage and, and mom's parents were the good Baptist folks, my mother's. And they'd come over once or twice and saw we didn't have a television. And so one day they come over and said, hey, we saw you didn't, we're gonna buy a new one. Would you like ours? And it was a big console, you know, big nice thing. And that gave us an opportunity to say, no, we don't want our children being influenced by that. I, you know, her and I, are, are, we know when to shut it off. Of course, television's thing of the past, but do you know when to shut your phone off? Do you know when to shut your internet uh, cruising off, if that's what you want to call it? Okay, you have to, and, and, and what you must do is say, as dads, as fathers, Take that authority and say, that's not happening in my home. Excuse me? You are my daughter. You're not walking out of this house looking like that. Man, it's quiet in here. Not, but that's okay. You're listening. I can tell. Excuse me? My boys, we look, hey, we're just going down here. Where are you going? Always asking, where are you going? Okay. Sarah Jill was 31 years old when she got married. If she went to Paducah, she come home, she got an interrogation. Where'd you go? Who'd you see? What was you doing? What was you doing over there? Why did you do this? Oh, really? That's what you did? Yeah, why? Because as dad, I'm still concerned about her even at 30. And I don't want her to be influenced by something that I can foresee. You know, my, our, our statement was always when we was raising our children, and now it's our grandchildren, that mom and dad didn't give your children to me to raise. I'm astounded in churches even at grandparents who are raising 
their children's children. You see, I, I don't have the wisdom to raise your children. I don't have the foresight to raise your children. Gordon McDonald wrote a book years ago, and it was called The Effective Father, a little paperback book about that thick. And he goes through several things, but in the introduction he said, fathering is like riding in a canoe. You cannot be reactionary. Now think, how many's ever been in a canoe? Yeah, just try and be reactionary in a canoe. Oh, hey, I just hit the curve. I, I, I need to turn. That don't work. Years ago, we would take our guys in the church. You had about 15 of them. And they were, they were, we'd go down 11 points in Missouri and we'd canoe overnight, fish and camp out and things. <clears throat> there was a guy in our church, and you may remember Mike Gano. Okay, Mike was the kind of guy, he worked at the local grocery store for a while. And he was just a happy-go-lucky guy, he just, you know, uh, and, and, and they said, Mike, you know, take, take care of the boxes and et cetera at the grocery store. And he looked down in that, that dumpster in a plastic lid, you've seen them, and a plastic lid flips over, and, and it was full of maggots and all that kind of stuff. And he said, boy, that needs to be took care of. So he went back in, and he got lighter fluid and squirted it all over in the bottom of that dumpster and threw a match in it and shut the lid. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was just that kind of guy, okay? That was, that, they come in, they came, well, I won't go into everything he did, but, but, but we went on this canoe trip, George, and nobody wanted Mike. So guess who got him? The pastor. I said, now, Mike, I'm in the back. You're in the front. If I say paddle right, you paddle right. If I say paddle left, you paddle left. Why? Because I'm looking ahead. I'm not reacting. We get a little ways down the line, and all of a sudden, the guy stands up in the canoe. Well, you can see what happened next. Here goes floating our coolers, our sleeping bags, all this stuff floating down the river. And I come out of it, and I just said, oh, thanks, Mike. Oh, yeah. No, it didn't happen that way. I said, Michael, what was you doing? And he said, well, did you ever see that? He was just laughing. He said, see that low-hanging limb right there? He said, yeah. He said, I was going to grab that limb and drop into Jared and Israel's canoe. <laughs> How'd that work out for you, big boy? <laughs> okay. All right. But, but canoeing is, fathering is like canoeing. You cannot be a reactionary. Because if you do, there will be constant turmoil in your home. You have to look ahead. What is this action going to cause my family? What is it going to cause my daughter? What is it going to cause my son? If I do this, how will that? You see, we live in such an instantaneous age that we'll just deal with it when it comes. No, you cannot be an effective father by being a reactionary. So your daughter comes in wearing this. So you blow up. You've reacted. But did you see who she was running around with that influenced her to wear that? Oh, so your son comes in 
started to say he's been out drag racing, but I don't think I better say that. You're so your son comes in and he smells like cigarette smoke. Son, was you smoking? Oh, no, 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 no. But who is you hanging out with? What is it going to create in you? You see, you cannot, so you blow up. You're not going out again, and this isn't going to happen, and that's going to, no. Who permitted him to go with those people? So you cannot be a reactionary as a father. You have to be proactive. What's going to happen? You know, I told you a story about Swindoll this morning. And, and defining and guiding your children's character and personalities into what God has for them. Now, see, that's why our society, some of our society is the way it is. That's why we have, that's why Nathan has employment. It's because fathers, well, they didn't even, they're not even fathers anymore. Okay, let's just leave it right there. They're not even fathers anymore. They don't care. And that's part of this age that we're living in. But you need to be a protector. And how are you a protector? By being proactive. Proactive in your home. Proactive in your marriage. You see where it's going to lead us. And so you take an action and say, no, they don't understand you. They can't figure it out. Wives sometimes, they don't, they don't realize, they don't see what you're seeing. Because women are basically, for the most part, I've met some men who are who are governed by emotions. It says online, so I can't name any of close relatives. Do I need to move on? Behave, she said. Okay, I've met men who are, but but predominantly men are governed by intellect, and women are governed by emotions. And so, therefore, intellectual geniuses sitting here, you need to protect your family. Now, I've talked about these, these things that we see and touch. Amen. But what about spirituality? You need to protect your family from the spirits of the age. I don't take my children, uh, you know, they're all grown and et cetera now, but I don't, I don't take my children to this place because I don't want the influence of those spirits on them. Oh, but honey, it ain't going to hurt. It's just going to, you know, we're not going to be there long. It's not going to be, you know, no. Amen. Be careful. You are a protector of your family, of your wife. How long has it been since you saw where she was searching the internet? We preach hard on it where men or where our children are concerned. Be careful, don't let your children. Be careful, don't let your children. But husbands, what about your wife? Who's her friends on Facebook? I mean, Facebook's counted now the past. X. Twitter, or I don't even know what some of the others are. Okay, Telegram, Instagram, whatever, Polo. Who, who is her friends? Did you see something change in her life? Have you not been the spiritual protector that you need to be? Folks, I want to tell you what. We're in the push for life. 
in this hour for married lives? Amen. We're in the push for our spiritual lives. We're in the push for our church lives because of what is going on in this hour. So you need to be a protector. Ephesians, I don't need to go there and read it, but Ephesians 6 tells us about the spiritual armor. And you are the one that is to take up the sword and the shield for your family. Amen. My dad raised me, said, son, there's only one thing you can take to heaven from this world, and that's your family. Everything else will burn or decay. But that's the only thing. Make it your priority to protect them. Amen. Uh, good preaching there. Amen. The sword and the shield, keep it as a priority in your life. I got to hurry. But you're not only... You're not only the provider, you're not only the protector, but you're the priest. You are the priest of your home. Um, years ago, Bill Gothard coined a, a, a phrase. He's, it's called the umbrella protection. We have, a, we have a slide in our marriage conference that shows the umbrella protection. You got God, then you got the husband, then you got the wife, and it, it comes down, then you got the children. And if you are not who you need to be, if the husband's not who he needs to be, then it opens up the whole family to all of this, all of this junk that's coming in from the world. So you are the priest. I'll never forget one of my daughters was going through some real mental struggles, some issues. Uh, she was under some real, real tough strain. Um, Living in a different part of the country, she was had children. She just haven't gone through a lot of problems, and so the Lord dealt with me, and I called her husband because she called. He, I think he called. He called and he said, "Man, I, I, we just need your help. We need you to pray." And I said, "I will pray, but this is your problem." And he got quiet, and he said, "What do you mean?" I said, I'll tell you what, when she goes through these spells, you get your little children, you pull them up close to you, you get your sweet little wife, you wrap your arms around her, y'all get in a little circle, and you bind the devil. We'll pray. You deal with the issue. You tell the Lord you need help because you are the head of your home. Uh, your pastor, your father, you guys are like family to me. Your pastor, your father, your father-in-law, okay? He's, he is a strong leader, and justly so. You wouldn't be here if he wasn't, okay? But there's coming a day he's going to fade off the scene, whether by death, or whether by God's will. And when that happens, where will you be? George, will she come to you like she goes to him? Kevin, will your home be what it is without him? Don't answer me. Peter, will you have the strength 
without dad being here to say, son, do this. This is how you need to do it. This is what you need to do. Well, I have a tendency to veer off right there, but she's telling me just stay with it stuff. Okay? But folks, really, okay, you've done a great job to this point. But time is coming if Jesus tarries. That you're going to have to rise up and be the priest of your home. The protector of your home. <laughs> to be the one that when the midnight hour and that child is burning up with fever and you don't know what to do, take authority. You lay hands on... Oh, it's too good. Lord, help me, Lord. So I told him, I said, you do it. You do it. And boy, did God come down. More than once I've told my son-in-laws that. And you know, there may have been times I thought they was wrong. But I just still said, this is your problem. I'll do what I can. I'll pray. I'll ask God to give you help and strength and wisdom. But it's your family. You're the head of your home. You take authority. You're the priest. Well, that ought to put a little bit of chill down our spine, gentlemen because that causes us to be accountable. Accountable to God, first of all. Second of all, accountable to our family. It's so easy among us. I say us, you guys are out here in la-la land. Beauty land. Amen. Beulah. <laughs> it's so easy for us to let somebody else do the spiritual things for us. Dad's always been there. Dad's always. As a priest, it's up to you to go to this book and say, this is what God wants for our home. So you must not only be that, but you must pray over. You must bind the spirits that are attacking your family. Your finances. We always love to go to the cheapest place. Debbie said the only problem that Philip ever had, he had bankers that loved him. Because I always paid my debts off, okay? Yeah, you're like, you're the kind of guy that we love to come in here. Okay, we love to see you. Okay, what about your finances? Are they in trouble? If they are, you're the priest. Get down and ask God to help. Ask God to give you wisdom in what you're doing. I talked to you this morning about giving and all the, 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 the points of giving. Brother Routon, you say, I give my way out of difficulties. Pastor said later, we, we, we cannot give God. We've tried. Brother Mike Roberts, who was here with us one time, Brother Mike said to me one time, he said, you know, I just want to see what God would do. So I gave away $10,000. He said, within a very short time, God gave me back 20. So I thought, okay, God, I'll give away 20. I said, what happened? He said, ain't none of your business. <laughs> hey, man. Now, my wife keeps the books. She does a great job because she was raised to do that. 
And it doesn't bother me a bit. But she'll come to me and say, honey, we need to pay this and we've only got this much. And, and what do you want me to do? And there's been times that we just bind together and agree for God to work a miracle. Well, we was coming out here listening to K-Love, you know, on Sirius. And in the process of it, the, the announcer come on and said, so what is the, uh, recently, and then what she said, recently, what is the greatest miracle that you saw God work in your life? And they were soliciting phone calls. Okay, so I just turned the radio down, and I looked at her, and I said, so what would you say was the greatest miracle that God has worked for you recently in your life? And we drove for a few minutes, and she said, well, within the last few weeks, within the last two weeks, we had $800, $801 bills handed to us. I mean, just people that was out of our mind. Wouldn't even, we didn't even thought about it. Eight $100 bills. Just come up and say, here, we want to give this to you. And, and, and the only negative about that was, one, well, 500 of it, maybe more than that, 600 of it, was given to her. But I became the head of my home. He is. <laughs> Amen. But, you're the priest. And you say, honey, I feel like God's speaking to us that we need to give $100 uh, to somebody. And she says, you know, that's all we got. I really don't care. As the priest, I'm hearing God call me to sacrifice. Now, when we first got married, there was, okay. When her dad died, family went up to the casket where anybody else got there. We looked down at his body. I reached down and pulled his hand up. And I said, it's there. They all looked at me and said, what? The imprint of Lincoln is on his thumb. You get that penny pincher. Okay, he held it so tight. And they all laughed because they knew it was the truth. Okay. Now, my family was raised totally opposite. If we had $10 left over after church on Sunday night, we went to A&W Root Beer, got Root Beer floats, and listened to Unshackled. And my mom's saying, Jack, we've got bills. We got to, he said, Mom, got to provide. Don't worry about it. Got to provide. So when we got together, she brought goodness to me, and I brought faith to her. Okay? I mean, it may have took a few years. All right. But we did come together on that. But you're the priest of your home. And if God said do it, then do it. And say, honey, God will, you'll see. I mean, there's, there's times that I said, no, I, I just don't feel like the kids need to be involved in that. I don't think they need to go there. There's times I said, hey, I just feel like we shouldn't go. Can I, I want to take, I want to take time and tell it about Josh and Johnny, how God gave them to us. They was out here with us. You know, <laughs> we was going to Bristow. 
camp meeting and stopping by Joplin to see mom and dad. And that morning we was going to leave like seven o'clock or something like that, eight o'clock. And I just kept saying, I don't feel like leaving. I just somehow don't feel like something in me is telling me not to go. And so about 10 o'clock, she said, well, I'll tell you what, we're either going to get it loaded up in that car or we're going to unpack. And about that time, Brother Jerry come out in the church and he said, the postmaster at Berna, a little town up the road of probably 200 people, 150 people, said she just called and wanted to know the nearest kin to Susan. That was their mother. And I said, well, that's strange because we knew she'd left to go back to Chicago on Friday. And Debbie had stood out there in the parking lot of our, of our parsonage and tears running down her face. She said, Sue, I don't feel good. Please don't go. We thought it was her car, the old jalopy breaking down. Well, she had OD'd on heroin. Dad had two years before, five years before. And, and so they found letters in her purse for the mail at Berna. So they called the postmaster. They asked the children, do you have any family down there? And they said, we've got a grandpa and grandma. Has me and her. Because the only place they could get a bath. When we went into her home, the bathtub was full of sink. So it was full of dishes about that deep in black water. So they couldn't have got a bath. There was four gallons of milk sitting on the kitchen table. They'd been there so long it had, it had burst. It run down. You didn't walk on floors of any kind. It took three, three dump truckloads to clean that house out. You just you walked on filth. I'm not going into details. Dirty diapers, etc., etc. You can let your mind imagine. They said, what'd you do? So, well, we would sit in front of the TV with a jar of pickles, bag of potato chips, and a two-liter pop. But they thought we was your grandma and grandpa. So we called we called the we called the postmaster and she said, Well, I don't know, this attorney called and wanted to know who the next kin was. And the only thing I could think of was you guys. And so Brother Jerry was a notary. And he said, Well, let me go in. He said, I I've got something. And a few years before, when Buck had died, I had told her, You need to do something with your children because they don't need to be turned back into society. And she had come home from that funeral and wrote out handwritten note and said, if anything happened to me, I want Brother and Sister Sanders to have my children. And Jerry notarized it. So I called the attorney, got his number, called the attorney. He said, do you have anything? You're not, no, I'm, I can't tell you what's happened. I can tell you because you're not relation. I said, well, I have this piece of paper. He said, are you where you can fax it? I said, sure. We faxed it. He said, if you would have been five minutes later, they would have been in the system and you wouldn't have got them. Okay? So instead of going to Bristol, we drove to Chicago. And we picked Josh and Johnny up. You know the wonderful thing? Was it April? Johnny got married. And Tyler, well, my son-in-law was doing the wedding, and he said, you know the glorious thing, folks, about this union with Brother Schaefer's daughter? He said, the devil had destined for him to be one of the many casualties 
of the system. But God in his sovereignty pulled him out of that, placed him in a holiness preacher's home. Woo! Hallelujah. And now they're both serving God, full of the Holy Ghost, raising their children in church, committed. Well, Josh's children, Johnny's still to prove he's married. <laughs> your finances, your health of your family. Take, take the priestly responsibility over these things. You've had enough direction from your pastor to know spirits and know their attacks. We're living in an hour where it's very prevalent for nerve issues. And some of it comes from our history. I understand that. But how long has it been since you as a husband or a father have just took authority over that? You've just looked ahead. You weren't reactionary. And you said, man, my wife needs a little bit of help. She needs a little bit. Y'all are quiet in here, but that's okay. I'm talking to your heart. My wife needs a little bit of loving and not more, not just sensual. She needs somebody to take her off somewhere where she can get a little bit and know and care. Hey, my children need a little bit of time to help. Why? Because children go through nerve issues. We're humans. Hello? Don't go out and buy a dog. Poodle. Sorry, Chris, I see that offended you. One guy said, he was at a men's thing, and he said, man, don't go out and have an affair. Go out and buy you a new Mustang when you go through that midlife crisis. I thought, you dummy. Don't say that. Go and get along with God. Let God help you. Amen? Okay. All right, that's enough on the men. Anybody say, praise God? Are you glad you're a father? Are you glad you're a man, a husband? Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. You're going to take over. I'm helping you. Really? You're so pretty. I found out that I was supposed to help him do this a couple weeks ago. <laughs> and so coming down the road, uh, well, ways out there somewhere, maybe South Dakota, I can't remember. But um, the Lord really got to speaking to me about some things. And um, some of them I've already shared with some of you. And some of them, uh, maybe I don't have it on. That's on. Testing, testing, one, two, three. Some of them I've already shared some of this with you individually. Which and one is it? Because if I was praying she... last night about it, and I said, I really had suddenly, and I don't know if it was going up and down the steps too fast too many times, or what it was, but I really felt I had an attack from the enemy. And I was praying about it, and I said, devil, you're a liar. I know what the Lord dealt with me, and some of it, 
ha ha, God's already took care of because I felt it in my spirit as I was talking with you. And uh, But there are some things that I want to talk about that I feel like in this last hour that we as women, uh, you know, we have to know what the right way is before we tell you what the wrong way is. I mean, we need to know what the word says. The truth is, is what's going to get us through. And I was thinking in the hour we live in, I've got three things here, but submission is number one. And, you know, we go back, we've done our marriage conference here, and we've gone to Ephesians and talked about the woman's place and, the, and, and what she should be, not like um, Duke does, just roll over. <laughs> and, and, you know, he's very submissive. He wants you to scratch and tickle all the time, and he needs attention. I'm not talking about that kind of submission. And what's wrong with that? I'm talking about, I'm talking about uh, to our husbands in the relationship that God put in the word for us to be. And um, just as he was talking about finances or whatever the area is, in all areas, you know, we refer to him because he's our head. And, you know, I've told ladies so many times is, you know, it's on his shoulder before it's on yours. So relax, let him handle it, and then what God wants you to handle will become under that. Is that what you do all the time? Oh, I try. I try real hard. <laughs> so submission would be the, the, the thing I see in this hour in our churches, in our women. We know it's a lack of submission in the world, and the, the home set is all out of whack. But even in our churches, even in our holiness churches, you know, my husband has a theory. I, get, I don't know if it's just a theory, but at churches either – patriarchal or matriarchal and he says so many times you can tell how how those homes in that church are run you know what patriarchal <laughs> is yeah. man dominated matriarchal is women dominated and in our churches you can you can you can go into a church and see it just it's very obvious women run everything <laughs> amen and there's nothing wrong with the opinions. Uh, yeah, Doug Spencer came into the church here of faith, and he looked around and he said, boy, I can, I can tell you, you don't mind taking some advice from a woman. I couldn't interior decorate if the world, I mean, I can. I can put deer heads up <laughs> and fish, okay, mount fish, and, and I can put, you know, a, a hide on the wall and, you know, all these sorts of things. All that, that's fine, but... As far as colors and things like that, when we built our house, there were eight different colors, right? Something like Maybe that. Maybe ten. No, not that many. Probably seven. <laughs> oh, yeah, let's drop that way down. Seven different colors. I did all the painting in the house. And when I got done, I told her, I said, next house we do, it's going to be Amish. <laughs> One color. That's all. No accent walls, none of this stuff, okay? All right. That's and, why and, we rent. <laughs> <laughs> and no, so, really. so submission, okay, submission is not, uh, is not Duke, as she'd already mentioned. But submission is cooperating and then saying, yes, dear. Because why? He is proactive, or should be. Talking to Christians here. He is, pro he is seeing by God's wisdom and God's direction something that this is leading to. It may not be right now in our face, 
But if we let this go, this is going to create the issue. All right. So it, we need as women to be that way. And I thought, Lord, if, if there's ever an hour that women should be submitting. And, you know, I've seen women so domineering and so controlling. And I, I do feel sorry for that guy. And I want, to, I want to tell him, come on, get up, be a man, you know. But that's not my place, so I let him tell him. But anyway, I thought, Lord, I want to see women not... not uh, not abused, I don't mean that way, but loved. And if you are a good-willed man and a good-willed woman, we've talked about that before here, you're going to be concerned about her. She's going to be concerned about you. You're going to be able to talk things out. But ultimately, in the end, if he says this is the way it's going to be, then that's he answers to God for that. And you have to, there's times when I thought, I knew I'd do better. I knew I knew better. <laughs> <laughs> but I said, okay, Lord, it's, you know, if he, if he fails and all these ostriches go down the drain, whatever yeah. happens to him. Remember, we wasn't going to talk about <laughs> we, those things. Anymore. That's the O word. We don't talk about the O word. But you know what? Live, die, sink, or swim. If we'll do it God's way, he always makes it up to us. He always provides or sees us through the struggle that we're in. And I'm thankful for that. That's in the word, the submission part. And then number two is support. Anything you want to say here? <laughs> okay. Support. Yeah, there's an old song, and I, I really hesitate to refer to support. this. <laughs> Stand by your man. <laughs> And I, yeah, I, I mean, thought, that's not gospel. Oh, I know it's not, but it, that's what flashed to me, and I just couldn't resist it. Quit but sing the whole it, song, baby. No, doll. no, no. Take it spiritually. You know, take it for what what God has intended it to be from the Word. You are going to support Him and stand behind Him. And even you know, I see children that are so undisciplined in this hour, and uh, they're just craving for that discipline. I mean, I go to the grocery store and I have to bite my tongue and grit my teeth, and you know, get a hold of that child. We you know? were in a place just recently where where. I'll be careful. This is where, where the, the kids would look up and say, no, I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. You know what my mama told me? Mm -hmm. She wouldn't have said this anything. Is, this is online, okay? <laughs> you got to be careful. Mm -hmm. She would have said, get your teeth out of your toilet paper in the morning. <laughs> Matter of fact, I wouldn't even have that opportunity. That's true. Mm. Wop. <laughs> he wouldn't Amen. even thought of it saying it. Amen. And we're mm. living in a society. I've even had some of my own children do the one, mm -hmm. two, three mm -mm. to their children. We never did that. Mm -hmm. We didn't even give a one. Mm -mm. I mean, when they done wrong, they started flinching <laughs> right then because that's... There's a right way to and, discipline. And sometimes, yeah, yeah. Right way. Yeah. And sometimes, moms, because you are of the feminine nature, okay? Mm -hmm. Dad, man, that, 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 that little boy comes in there, you know, he, ah, he skinned his knee. Ah, ah. Everybody's a little boy, but Brother Estes is. Okay. Skins his knee. 
And dad says, ah, toughen up. Mm -hmm. Be a man. You can handle that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, bro. brother Mike told me one time, he said, I look at my grandkids and say, oh, it's a good one. Yep, yeah, good hour. Give me nooks on that one. Mama says, oh, come here, love me, love me, baby. Mm -hmm. Come here. I'm so sorry. I yeah, I know Abby has a hard heart. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, I bless your heart. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Kevin's probably abused, okay? I just <laughs> right. and, and, and why? Because we're soft, okay? Sure. The women are softer. We men are made to be that way, okay? But be careful in your, in your support, support yes. of your husband. Never correct your spouse in front of your children. Right. Never. Right. You want to discuss it? Discuss it privately, but not in front of the children. What you're doing is confusing your children with authority. Mm -hmm. okay. right. Never compete in authority. Right, right, right. It is always, okay, Adam was not deceived. Mm -hmm. That's what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. He willfully chose. He said, baby doll, I love you more than I do God. Mm. He willfully chose. Mm -hmm. But Eve was deceived. So therefore the scripture says, I didn't say it, God said it. You are the weaker vessel. Mm -hmm. That's Bible. And in that support, I see in our churches as we make our way around the country. So this is an example. So they may have a, a work day. But... The wife or the mom is, but honey, we've got to do this and this and this and this. I'm talking about a work day at the church or something that they're doing as a church or something they're involved in. And ladies, you've got to support that man and what he feels God wants his family to do. Whether it's, you know, sacrifice on your part. Mom, you know how to sacrifice. We're the ones that bore these children and we know how to sacrifice. But it's okay to let that man make those decisions and you stand behind him. Say, kids, we're going to go work for God today. We're going to go back the preacher. We're going to go to this uh, meeting. It, you know, you guys don't have them that close to go to. But back where we're from, you know, there's places to go and, and things to do. But I thought, Lord, I want to be supportive so that my kids, then they're going to want to. You know, a lot of things we do, ladies, we do because we want our kids to have it better. But it's not just in the natural, the physical, not just have the nice clothes and the nice things, but it's I want them to have the godliness yes. in their life. I want them to go to, to things that they get what they need from God to support them later on in life so that they can raise their kids to serve the Lord. So support is important. And then service is the last one. We as women find today that especially those of us that are uh, godly women, we see that in the world. There, There is no, you know, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. Well, it's everybody for yourself. Yeah, we stopped at a restaurant. Uh, where was we at? Mm, oh, wheat. <laughs> no. They couldn't get anybody to work. Mm -hmm. So they closed at 2 o'clock. All right, uh, the Mexican restaurant last night, uh, it said we will be closing, I think it's 5 o'clock or something. Early. Uh, mm -hmm. Early. Because we can't get anybody to serve. Yep. That's our society. Yep. Okay.
Okay, and, and folks, I'm telling you something. Churches have become, uh, you guys may not, but churches have become consumer-oriented. We come to church and say, what okay, what are you going to do for me? Right, right. What do I get? I, I'll put my tithe in, but what will I get out of this? Now, it may not be, it may not be a front and visual but subliminally, mm-hmm. the world in this last hour has influenced us to become consumer-oriented. What can I get? Can I get the best deal at Sun Valley Church? Can I get the best deal at Faith Pentecostal? Will I get the best deal at these places? We don't look for that. We can't because we're not consumers. We're givers. Right. Right. We all want to be kings. I heard a man preach recently and he pointed this out so explicit. Do you have it? Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> I want to be submissive. Okay. He pointed this out so he said the greatest king is who? In the scriptures. Was who? David. David. King David. Okay. They still honor him as our king. And even God did. But where did David start? Shepherd boy. Mm-hmm. But where did he get the open door to be a king? When his father came to him, and, and this man used it this way, he said and said, take this cheese to your brethren. He, he started as a servant. Mm-hmm. And because he could be faithful as a servant... God said, you'll make a good king. Mm-hmm. Do you remember in the, in the New Testament where Jesus, before he was crucified, he was going to the upper room? And he sent, he sent two disciples in town. And what did he tell them? Find, but who, who had the donkey? Do you remember that little, there's a little, little thing right there in that text. He said, when you go into town, you'll find a man carrying what? A water pot, a pitcher. The problem with that is men in that hour didn't carry water pots. Mm-hmm. The women did. The women did. Right. Ah! But do you know what that opened the door to? It opened a door for us to see the upper room, to see intimate conversation with the Lord and His disciples. It led to... Uh, is Leonardo da Vinci and his great painting. It, for centuries later, it was still operating because of service, a servant who was willing to serve. And I know she's talking to women, and, I, and that's the basic thing. How is this affecting us in the church in this last hour? We're not seeing servanthood. This spirit is creeping in among the church. Ladies, be a servant. And she, she, we don't have to go into deep definition of you have to put on an apron and say, yes, a massa. Okay? That's not what we're talking about. But how about serving your husband and what God will do with you as you do that? Recently, we were at a meeting and I... We, there was re, uh, refreshments afterwards, and I made a. I just felt the Holy Ghost lead me to go sit down by the pastor's wife, and so I did. And um, 
as everybody started leaving around us, it was just me and her left sitting there. So I called her name and I said, so how have you been this year? Because I hadn't seen her for a while. And I mean, she just broke. She said, it's been the hardest year of my life. This woman is, uh, she's a little older than my oldest girl. And yet she has grandkids. And, and I, she was sharing with me what she'd been going through and, and you know, trying to help with everything, with everything, pastor's literally. Wife. As a pastor's wife, as a mother, a grandmother, <clears throat> and her husband, singing. a musician, singer. She, and her husband was called on a lot to preach at camp meetings and meetings. And she, she was just overwhelmed with it all. And I said, I have a daughter that I just told this to, and I'm going to tell this to you. I said, what does God require of you? And she said, well, first I told her, I said, it's okay to say no. And she looked at me funny. And I said, first of all, what does God require? That you take care of your husband. You know, your relationship with him obviously is first and foremost. But that you take care of your husband. You take care of your home which may be your children if they're still in the home. And I said, if you're doing that, then what time you have left, you give, you give unto God in what areas you can. But it's okay when you feel that point you're come to. Take it to the Lord, and it's okay to say no sometimes. I just can't right now. She had what I observed from her was she was always doing for everybody, and she was at the point where, and it reminded me, of what my father-in-law, who was our instructor when we were in Bible school 50 years ago, and he would say to us students all the time is, God is more concerned about the worker than he is the work. Why does that, why does the scripture in um, 1 Peter 5, 7 say, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you? He care, doesn't care anything about your cares. <laughs> he cares for you, and he was talking to the ministry there. And so I told her, I said, this pastor's wife, and she was just, you know, I, that she was hearing this, and I, I just felt the Holy Ghost leave me. And the, that night before we got home, her husband had called and told my husband to tell me thank you. The next service or two later, we were there, and he made a beeline for me to let me know, you know, how it helped her. And so sometimes, I don't know what stage of life you're in, whether you're a young mother, and you've got the little ones under your feet, and they're... And you think, I just got to have a break from this. You know, Abby tries to hand them all off to me and Dad. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. But Is there something I can do? Abby, let me get the vacuum. <laughs> no, just take my boys. <laughs> that was yesterday. Huh? So I know where you're at. We, Us older women have been there, and we've been through those times. And remember, the enemy is out to make you think you're losing your mind, make you think that you can't take any more. I can't stand any more of this. And, you know, I told homeschooling moms, I'd just say, come on, girls, or boys and girls. I said, mom needs help right now, and get down on the floor. And I said, lay hands on me and pray for me. And they can remember the times they did that. And I find them doing that now with their kids. The other day, one of my girls said, mom, I did what you did. I said, come on, kids, pray for me. I need help from the Lord right now. I can't do this without God's help. The second, one thing, let me interrupt you. Is it okay? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I want to submit. <laughs> but the next, one of the things that comes to me, and it's come to me multiple times here, is, is we were sitting with one of my daughters just recently, mm-hmm. and she felt like she was a failure because she was, she was having to send her kids to a Christian school, two oldest. 
because she's a pastor's wife. She has major demands, but she wanted to homeschool. Well, she had been told over and over again, you are just overprotective. Mm -hmm. You just expect too much. And so we're sitting in the living room, and she said, now, I know how I am. And I'm extreme. She, yeah, she was, she was wrestling with this. She said, I'm extreme. And I just, I felt, the, I felt the Holy Ghost speak to me. And I said, I rebuke that. What do you want to be? Do you want to be like, and I named several people whose children <clears throat> are totally messed up with the world. Mm -hmm. You're not extreme. Who are you comparing yourself to? that makes you say, I'm overboard. Yep. Hallelujah. Yep. You comparing yourself to the world? Are you comparing yourself to worldly people in the church? Mm -hmm. Are you comparing yourself to somebody else who you think has arrived? God's given you what you need. Yes. And you don't have to compare yourself because you're not wise. Because when you do, you heap coals of condemnation, of guilt, and then you'll come to a point where you compromise. Right, right. Sorry. And I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm here, not. Stan, to tell you the times that God has always come through. He's always come through. And He'll do it again, the song says. He'll do yes. it again. And I thought, whether you're that young mother raising younger children or you are, uh, your children are out of the home. Maybe they're, they're raised. I mean, you know, we go through stages of life. And whatever stage or season that you're in now, God is, still has a plan for you. And, and, you know, just because we're older and we've raised our kids, it's not time to quit being of service or quit being of support or quit being submission, submissive. No. That, that goes all the way to the end of time and because it's in the Word of God and it didn't put a, a deadline on it or an age on it. It's all there for us to adhere to. And I, I want to encourage those the older ones, remember that God has a work still for you to do. It may be an advising. You know, we no longer can whip them up the side and straighten them out like we used to or grab a hold of them. One of the hardest things to do is to go from being a parent to being an advisor. Mm -hmm. It's it really changes. tough. Life changes. <clears throat> through Very stages. challenging. But God's with us through all those. And he, it, you know, I thought many times when I worried about my children and their their decisions in life that they make and I thought, but we'd go, we talked to each other about it and we always come up we raised him in, in the Word of God. We put the foundation in there. Now, we may not be able to uh, physically straighten them out or verbally, but we go to prayer with it, and we let God use what they know and work on them. And so our it may change. You know, we're not, not here tending to little ones unless we're grandma, and then that is just a limited time because grandma can't do what she used to do. And I hate to say this and I hate to admit this, but this is life. And, and that's why there's times that it's okay. And I was telling this, this pastor's wife, it's okay to say no sometimes. I can't right now. But, you know, catch me, you know, catch me next week or something like that. <coughs> because we have limitations on us and God does care about us not our cares he can handle them but he cares about us and so let God 
help you with whatever stage you're in to be what you need to be for God because he has a, a work, a ministry for all of us in this hour. And whether it's to our children or our grandchildren or somebody else's children and grandchildren or others that are out there that need, need our advice, need our wisdom. I've had, I've, I never, you know, you don't think about it when you're young about getting at this stage in life. When you're the one giving the advice and wisdom, you always went to mom, you know, and she, she helped you through it. But now you're mom and you're grandma, and God will help you through that because he knows what you can handle. And his grace is sufficient for every hour, every need. My times are in his hands. So whatever he calls me to do, I can do it with his help. Because he will give me the strength, and he'll give me what I need. I think I'm going to quit preaching. <laughs> Let her do it. Nope. I'll just support, submit, <clears throat> <and> serve. <laughs> you know, one of the things that came to me, I want to tell you, you guys don't have the problem of an influence of other people. Right. I'm talking about going to this meeting and going to other churches and, and, and that's, that's good and it's bad. But the influence that you fight is the world. You don't, you don't wrestle with, quote, unquote, other uh, camp meetings. You see these people dressing this way or you see them doing this way or you see this going that way. You don't have that problem and, and them still coming to church. But where your influence comes from is out there in the world. And let me tell you, of course, a lot of you married except for Hannah. And I've just got a little bone to pick with her anyway. I'm, I'm just a little bit, got a little problem with her, okay, today. Okay. <laughs> but you've got to be careful that that doesn't appeal to you more than godliness appeals to you. You're not going to find your man dressing like the world the man that you need you're not going to find appealing to your husband doing what the world does you're going to find appealing to him what she just said amen amen you're not going to find your wife being more this more appealing you know I went to a church years ago I hate preaching online. Years ago, I went to church, and the women come in with these flowers, you know, these big feathers in their hat and dolled up and dressed up and all fixed up. And I had about all I could take by Thursday night. And I just got up and said, some of you ladies come in here all dolled up and fixed up and dressed up, and you say you're doing it for your husband? No, you're not. You're doing it for her husband. Because if it was for your husband, you'd be dressing up like that when he come home from work. Never got an invitation back. But really, if you want the if you want your husband, his attention on you, it's not because the world dresses that way. It's because of your character. It's because you're living what she just taught you. And as you do that, as you shun that, the very appearance of it, God will reward you. Supernaturally, God will reward you. You done? Okay. I am too.
Praise God. I'm smelling food. <laughs> Hallelujah. Would you stand with me? Yeah, go ahead. Lord, I thank you for these folks. I love them, Lord. I mean, I love them all like my own. I thank you for the commitments they have to you, first of all, but to each other and to their pastor, to their families. I thank you for the fathers that are here and that they've, they've committed themselves to you. I thank you for the wives that are here, mothers. I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you that they've committed themselves to their husbands, to you. Lord, I can only be here so long and I can speak your word, but your word's eternal. And if we'll let it rest in our hearts, it'll not fade away. It's the glory of it, Lord, is your word is... Is, is enlightening and it causes us the light to come on in our heart and, and that makes us want to be drawn to you. Hallelujah. So Lord, I'm asking tonight, Lord, let your seed fall upon good ground and let it bring forth much fruit in Jesus' name. This almost seems like another one of our marriage conferences, Brother Mike. But maybe you'd like to just go pray.